Would you please remain standing with me for the reading of God's Word? And this morning we will be in the New Testament book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians chapter 4. So would you meet me there and follow along as I read verses 2 through 18. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 18. God's word says this, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Well, that is God's word for God's people. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, some of what we've just read there in Colossians chapter 4 can at times feel a bit like reading the credits at the end of a movie. And unless you played some part in the production of the movie, or unless it's a Marvel movie, nobody usually sticks around or pays much attention when the credits start to roll. There's actually a New York Times article entitled, Why I Watch the Closing Credits of Every Movie I See, and in it, the writer says this, Our culture of on-demand binge-watching conditions us to race past the credits, taking for granted the collective creative efforts behind the movies and TV shows we so voraciously consume. Let me give that one to you one more time. Our culture of on-demand binge-watching conditions us to race past the credits, taking for granted the collective creative efforts behind the movies and TV shows we so voraciously consume, end quote. Another New York Times article on movie credits sympathizes with those of us who race past those credits as it records the 
growing stats of just how long those credits are. It says, quote, at least 50 films in the movie database imdb.com have cast and crew credits that surpass 2,000 names each. The credits for Iron Man 3 include more than 3,700 names. My point in sharing those articles is this. While it's understandable to find lists of names that we don't know personally a bit tedious to read or to race past them when we come across them, when it comes to the Bible, there is no wasted ink. It's all profitable for us, so let's continue to grow in our discipline to slow down enough and appreciate why they're there. But secondly, while none of our names will ever appear in the Bible, if you've placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then your name actually has been written down in God's book of life. And that means you've been written into the amazing story of redemption that God is writing. And I think then that we can use some sanctified imagination shaped by our passage today to envision some asterisks next to each of those names in God's book of life. And when we trace those asterisks down to the bottom of the page, we might just find the names of people who were instrumental in bringing them to Christ. Think about your own story of the people God used in your life to bring you to faith in him. People who prayed you into the kingdom of heaven. People who shared the good news of the gospel with you. My hope today is simply to remind us that God has an elect people and that he is on a mission to save them to the praise of his great name and that everyone here today who has put their faith in Jesus has a part to play in that incredible mission. God's word talks about it this way. For instance, in Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20, this famous passage known as the Great Commission, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, that is his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Or listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the word to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God's people are called to be on God's mission. And if you've ever wondered what that means for you or just how exactly does God intend to use you in this mission, I want to show you today from Colossians chapter 4 the answers to some of those questions. So let's begin by considering first the mission of God 
And we see hints of it there in the first few verses of our passage where the writer of this letter, the Apostle Paul, instructs these Colossian believers, verse 3, to add to their prayers a prayer for him. And that prayer, again, found there in verse 3 where Paul says, Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Now, what exactly is Paul requesting prayer for? Well, I think it's pretty easy to see there, but it's, I think we put it this way, he is asking prayer for an opportunity to clearly declare the gospel. He's asking for a door of opportunity to clearly declare the gospel, which according to Acts chapter 9 and Ephesians chapter 3 is what Paul had been set apart by God to do as part of God's mission. Acts chapter 9, 15. Just to remind us, we hear these words from the Lord to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8 records these words of Paul. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Or as Paul puts it here in our passage today, to declare the mystery of Christ. And when we see that description of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, that doesn't mean there's something to be solved about Christ, but rather there is something to be revealed about Christ. And that thing that's going to be revealed is that he is the Savior of all people not just ethnic Israel. And that holds true, especially as we keep in mind the mission of God, that he is at work ransoming people, not just from ethnic Israel, but as Revelation 4 puts it, from every tribe and language and people and nation through the declaration of the gospel. And while that is good news for the world, not everybody was happy about it, and that's why we read there in verse 3 that Paul was in prison. People are not always happy about it. That is the declaration of the gospel. Because the declaration of the gospel comes with the call to repent of living in sin and for yourself and instead live for who? Live for Christ and when there's already a king on the throne, whether that be Caesar in Rome or yourself on the throne of your own heart, the declaration of another king is going to be met with hostility. And again, that's why Paul found himself in prison asking for their prayers. And what I always find interesting in this account is that the prayers are not for Paul's release. Instead, the prayers are for God's mission to advance. And Paul prays that because he had realized that though, he, that though he had been set apart to participate in God's mission, 
He could not do it in his own strength. And sometimes that's more easily felt than at other times, like when you're sitting in prison, for instance. But he had also come to understand that the kind of power that was behind the word he was called to proclaim, and because of that, the kind of power that was behind the word he was called to proclaim, the prison and his chains actually didn't discourage him. Because as Romans chapter 1, 16 reminds us, Paul knew that the gospel he was called to declare was the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The Apostle Paul had also experienced how his imprisonments had actually given more opportunities for God's mission to advance. Like we hear about in Acts chapter 16, verses 29 to 33, Here's what that passage records for us. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. It was because of experiences like that and others that Paul could write to the Colossians, asking them to pray for him and his missions team, not for their release, but for the opportunity to declare the gospel. And so the elements of God's mission can be seen here in verses 3 and 4. We see them in Paul's faithfulness to his commissioning through his dependence on God and his desire to continue to declare the gospel. But what I want us to notice next is what Paul does in relation to the mission of God there in Colossae. Look how he moves from prayers for him and his team there in verses 3 and 4 to instructions for the Colossian Christians there in verses 5 and 6. And what's Paul doing there? Well, he's expanding the list of those who are intended to be participating in the mission of God there in Colossae, and it includes all the Christians there. He moves from talking about his own opportunities in God's mission to now talking about theirs from talking about how he ought to speak about the gospel proclamation in verse 4 to how they ought to speak about the gospel there in verse 6. So I want us then to consider Paul's instructions for these Colossian Christians beginning there in verse 5, where we hear this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And the outsiders that Paul referred to there are those who are still, would you know it, outside the kingdom of God, 
those who haven't yet heard the gospel message and responded by repentance and faith. Those are who the outsiders are. Paul's referring to there in verse 5. And how does Paul say that they are to act with the unbelievers around them there in Colossae? Well, there again in verse 5, he instructs them under the authority of the Spirit to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. That's the first expectation that Paul has for them as they carry out their roles in the mission of God. And the second is found there in verse 6, where he instructs them again under the authority of the Holy Spirit to let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And here we begin to get at the heart of some of those questions that we as Christians sometimes have about how does God intend for us to carry out our roles in his mission? And like always, God never commands his people without enabling them. So let's spend now just a few minutes considering those instructions that are meant to help us along as we participate together in God's mission. First, let's look back to verse 5. Looking back to verse 5, I want to ask the question, what's it mean to walk in wisdom toward outsiders making the best use of the time? That's the instruction given to us, but what's that mean? Well, the verb there, walk, is Bible lingo for the way we live our lives. Like in Psalm 1, where we hear, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Or like in Galatians 5, like we've been giving our attention to, where we hear, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So when Paul instructs them to walk in wisdom, He's instructing them to live their lives among non-Christians with wisdom as their guide. And that word wisdom, it shows up five other times in this letter. One time it's having to do with worldly wisdom that's contrary to God's word, but the other four times it has to do with the kind of wisdom that's personified by Jesus Christ. And so that's the way it's meant here. So in other words, Paul is saying, pattern your interactions with unbelievers after that of Jesus's. Pattern your interaction with unbelievers after that of Jesus's. And yes, that means we're going to need prayer for that. And so we're not surprised to find Paul and his mission team doing just that back in chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Listen to those verses. He opens this letter. He says to the church, And so, verses 9 and 10 of chapter 1, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What's the purpose of that? Verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, 
bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And while there will be plenty here in the area of walking in wisdom toward outsiders for us to think about and to repent of and to keep relying on the Spirit for when it comes to this instruction, Paul emphasizes one specific application there at the end of verse 5, where he calls them to do this, making the best use of the time. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Now that phrase only shows up three times in Scripture. Here in our passage, then in Ephesians chapter 5, 15 and 16, which says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. And then Daniel chapter 2, verse 8, which says, The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you show me its interpretation. So it looks like whatever is going on in Daniel 2 is what was on Paul's mind when he wrote both of those passages, Colossians chapter 4 and Ephesians chapter 5. The question that I hope you're asking is, what was going on in Daniel chapter 2? Well, this scene, that scene there in Daniel chapter 2, that was the scene where King Nebuchadnezzar was having some of those disturbing dreams. Do you remember the story? And so what did he do? Well, he sent for some of his wise men to reveal to him what the dreams meant. But because the Babylonian wise men weren't really wise men, they didn't have a clue and because the king said he'd kill them if they couldn't reveal to him what the dreams meant, they were forced to buy some time. They were stalling. Daniel, on the other hand, according to chapter 2, 14 through 16, replied with prudence and discretion. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. And so we have this comparison contrast here in Daniel chapter 2 between people who are buying time to stall because they don't have the answer and those who are buying time in order to act with prudence and discretion in order to reveal the truth to someone who needs it. And so it seems then what Paul means here in Colossians chapter 4 when he says, walk in wisdom with outsiders, making the best use of the time, he means we are to be like Daniel, using our time to make sure we're exercising prudence and discretion with unbelievers for the purpose of revealing the truth to them that God has entrusted to us in the form of the gospel. 
Now let me say what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean that every opportunity with unbelievers is the right opportunity to talk about the gospel. Not every opportunity with unbelievers is the right opportunity to talk about the gospel. Remember again what it was that Paul was asking prayer for earlier in our passage, verses 3 and 4. Not only for a door of opportunity, which implies sometimes there isn't one, but he also asked prayer for an opportunity that would lend itself to what? Giving a clear presentation of the gospel. We have to trust the sovereignty of God enough to know that not every situation is the right situation to reveal the truth of the gospel. Paul experienced that good tension, didn't he? Back in Acts chapter 16, where we read that, and they, that is Paul and his team, went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus didn't allow them. This means that while maybe Paul and his team had a desire to share the gospel in those places, God had a different plan for them, and so the Holy Spirit guided them elsewhere to fulfill that plan. I'm not suggesting that that is easy to navigate the difference between which opportunity is the right opportunity, but one way we can navigate our way through this is by being like Daniel who took the initiative to inquire about the situation, to slow down long enough to be prudent and discerning, to see if the circumstances appeared to be the right ones in which to receive the truth. But in addition to the instruction there in verse 5, look what else Paul says there in verse 6 to guide the Colossian Christians on their mission together with the Lord. There in verse 6, he goes on to say, not only walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time, but also, verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And the word speech there isn't restricted to just the times we share the gospel. Rather, Paul's continuing his theme. He began back in chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Just look across the page there, chapter 3, 16 and 17, where he says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God and whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him in other words Paul is instructing Christians to live as God's people on God's mission in a way that is wise and gracious not only when we're sharing the gospel message, but also when we're sharing our take on politics, or we're sharing a movie together, or a class, 
or a family function. These moments when we're together with unbelievers ought to be so positively influenced by us such that without us there, those moments would be like songs without music, vision without color, sports without wins and losses, or as Paul implies here, food without salt. Paul was striving to participate in the mission of God in a way that modeled the one who was full of grace and truth. And so when he calls the Colossians to join with him in that, he calls them to the very same kind of living. So we could put it this way, as we participate as the people of God in the mission of God, everything we do ought to have the aroma of Christ so that when we walk by outsiders, those who are living in death, they might, they might take notice of something refreshingly different and ask us what that is. This idea is further supported by what Paul was getting at at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31 and following when he said to the church in Corinth, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's a famous one for us, right? But let's continue on. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. Why? that they may be saved. As I uh, reflected on this in preparation for this morning, I thought of a recent story I heard of just how impactful this can be. Unfortunately, it's a negative example. It comes from some research, actually by the restaurant industry, where they've taken notice of the Sunday crowds that come their way as churches let out right around lunchtime. And the wait staff has taken notice of little tips, no tips, or sometimes gospel tracts left behind to apparently make up the difference. And that's often paired with a lack of courtesy and overall kindness. Now listen. I know not everyone in that church crowd is necessarily a follower of Christ, but the example still serves as a good reminder for us as to why God is calling us to participate in his mission the way he is here in Colossians 4. To have the pattern of our lives marked by wisdom and grace, or as Paul put it elsewhere, to keep in step with the Spirit, no matter what we're doing, so that our walk would be worthy of the Lord, leading to open doors of good interactions between us and the unbelievers around us. I'm sure maybe some negative and positive examples are coming to your mind. They did to me, so let me share one more negative example when it comes to God's people on God's mission. And this one is simply in the area of declaring the gospel in a way that's not clear. My wife, Nicole, was at the Target here in Auburn Hills one time, 
and she said as she was just about to check out that a guy started yelling for everyone's attention and then proceeded to yell that everyone needs a savior so trust him today so you won't go to hell and then he left now there were elements of truth in what he yelled but the fear he caused by yelling into an otherwise calm crowd followed by his abrupt exit was not, I think, the kind of door of opportunity Paul was talking about, nor was it an example of the kind of speech that's seasoned with grace. A better way of going about it is what groups of you are doing here with your local outreaches. The group that goes across the street to OU has done so exercising wisdom and grace, getting permission, being creative, and being thoughtful of the students they're hoping to share the gospel with. The guys who head up the basketball outreach here on Monday nights are clear about their intentions. They want to provide space for guys to come and enjoy some basketball. And in between games, they're going to talk about the Savior we all need, but to do so in a way that's clear. And as they build relationships, as those relationships build, so too do the opportunities for more discussion around the reason of why we do what we do. These are just two positive examples of many more I could give. But I also want to encourage those of you who may hear those two positive examples and may feel like you're not equipped to minister in the specific area of evangelistic outreach. Can I just say to you that ministry requires us all in all of our different giftings, direct speech about the gospel and kind speech just about life. God's people on God's mission are to be living in such a way that they are mindful of individuals who don't yet know the Lord and walking in wisdom and grace with them such that they're ready to respond when these individuals, these outsiders, these unbelievers question this Jesus-like way of life they're seeing in us. This is the same thing the Apostle Peter was getting at when he said in 1 Peter chapter 3, 15, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when, not if, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Brothers and sisters, it's through this way of life that God will accomplish his mission. Praying for open doors and clear presentations of the gospel, living our lives with the unbelievers around us with wisdom 
and with grace, being ready to respond to those who ask us about this different way they're observing. This is what the Lord used to give life to the church in Colossae. It's what the Lord has used to give life to those of us here today who are followers of Christ. And it's what the Lord will use to give spiritual life to those around us that the Lord has appointed for salvation. And thankfully, we can count on seeing that come to pass. Here's the good news. Not because of who we are, but because of who God is. Because it's God through the power of prayer that opens doors. And it's God through the power of his word that brings salvation. And it's God through the power of his sovereignty causing our past the cross at just the right time with just the right person he's drawing to himself. And it's God through his spirit at work in us empowering us to walk in wisdom and to talk in grace and to respond to those who ask us with the simple gospel message of hope. So five points as we go our separate ways today. Would you remember that God is on a mission to ransom people for every tribe, language, people, and nation to the praise of his great name? And would you also remember that if you're part of that great multitude already, then you also have the privilege of knowing that God has called you and God has equipped you to be part of this amazing mission. And that means that just like in our passage today, as Paul finishes his instructions for carrying out that mission of God, he rolls the credits, as it were, beginning there in verse 7 with name after name of those who are not only in the book of life, but also now privileged to be part of God's mission. And the very same thing is true of us. Each of God's redeemed people has a beautiful role to play, as unique as their gifting and circumstances of life. And as this list suggests, that means men and women old and young, those with sordid past and those who are squeaky clean, white collar and blue collar, all of God's people, by God's grace, being who God's called us and equipped us to be to accomplish his mission, all to the praise of his great name. Let's pray. Lord God, we are beyond grateful that you are ransoming people from every corner of the globe through the power of your spirit and word and those of us who have already experienced that work of salvation, we praise and glorify you today. We pray, Lord, that you would help us now to be your people on your mission, praying for doors of opportunity to clearly proclaim the gospel message. 
We ask you to please help us to be living our lives in such a way that your wisdom and grace shines through us and onto those around us who are still lost in darkness. And Lord, until that day comes when we find ourselves standing around your throne, may the love that Christ has demonstrated to each one of us in his living and his dying be the very same kind of love we demonstrate to those around us. And it's for his sake and in his name we pray. Amen.